Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today, we have Roosevelt Sawyer Jr., CIO at the Florida Office of the State Court Administrator. Roosevelt, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Thank you, Joe, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you for welcoming to your podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Had a fantastic conversation with Gavin Green, who you actually spoken very highly of. And we're going to jump right into his leadership in crafting the cybersecurity program that harmonizes security with productivity. For the audience, I, I think most folks know Gavin's a past guest. I'll have to go find his episode number and link it in the show notes for our episode. But I was curious, Roosevelt, if you could talk about how his approach has helped transform Florida's Office of State Courts and just kind of how it operates on the cybersecurity side. Absolutely. Gavin has really into this cybersecurity and CISO role over the last four years and really taken a very methodical approach, taking the approach of let's ensure that we cry before we walk and taking that approach, but also taking the approach with security, say, to know that it's security's job is to enable the business to do business more securely, but not to disable the business from doing what they are missioned to do. So He's really taken up with that mindset, really built the program around training around tools and projects that are really moving the branch forward and also within the appellate courts and the Supreme Court of Florida. That's great. For those who are like myself, not as in the CISO role of a court, what are some of the types of projects that would roll out just from a high level? that someone like Gavin would typically work on? Well, Gavin in his role, uh, he's certainly working on more so securing uh, from the administration side of courts, uh, not within the day-to-day court operations. What I mean by that would be uh, justices and judges, uh, court administration staff, uh, just ensure that they're a well-trained workforce that they have the tools to do their job and to continue to implement a more identity management, single sign-on. As you can think, we within the, the state court system, we span all 67 counties in Florida and as such, very geographically dispersed. But by doing so, ensuring that there is a single fr- uh, thread of identity as much as possible in our appellate courts and continue to improve upon that. And also his role is with our trial courts within the state court system in Florida. And within that, there are different types of complexities that come with that because there are different systems out there. Those systems integrating as as best as we can. Identity management has been a project that Gavin is starting to really look at and closely improve upon that from a state court system where there are various different uh, apartments and, and different audiences that need to have that identity to log into applications. 
That's great. So I think this leads really well into the creating a workplace culture where team members feel at ease to report. We talked about this before the first time off camera, but the ability to report potential security threats is a massive achievement. You mentioned the education piece. What strategies did you employ to ensure that individuals could come forward without this fear of retribution on the security front? Well, uh, Gavin and I kind of worked really uh, closely on one uh, area that we thought was very important is improved communications, uh, pushing communication, uh, and frame back communication. There's a, an education component, but more so uh, reaching out to users, uh, uh, getting them to understand what is the process uh, for reporting incidents, that there will be no type of penalties for reporting an incident, or if you inadvertently clicked on a link that you should not have, you reported it. That's the first step, and we'll work on getting that resolved. And any other uh, education that might be required around that, I think having those sessions early on has really helped in October, which is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Gavin does a great job of sending out communications during that month weekly and, and on different types of trainings, just really tool tricks and tips for cybersecurity, how to identify uh, phishing emails or spam or taking it beyond just the workplace, but taking it to your home and ensuring that your family is aware of some of these uh, lessons that you're learning from work to make them more secure. So you come into the workforce more secure. He's taken that approach. And I think that's really helped uh, alleviate any concerns about not wanting to work. That we're all one family just trying to strengthen uh, security. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Tim Romer, who's the former state CISO in Arizona, and he would create memes to try and get the staff engaged and just to bring the awareness. And I know every team has their own. I've heard some pretty funny ones over the years of just trying to get the team engaged on the security front. And so, which actually, we talked about this offline about not just security, but just moving in into your, to your role also about eating your own dog food. And I love this term a lot because I do it every single day on the podcast, both on kind of the user experience front end of what people see as the end product and on the back end uh, internally for the team. And so on your kind of day to day in the context of the office of the state courts, how do you see this practice ensuring the sustainability and efficiency of new technology operations and then maybe just one to two examples of that you really like around eating your own dog food on the tech front yeah sure i mean it really that the around eating your own food came from a very close mentor of mine and taught me very early that customer experience and customer service are very important than tools and that we look at. And so I've always taken that mindset um, since that journey is to look at how the user is going to experience uh, a service that we roll out. It starts with the tools, of course, and it, uh, the, the, the gadgets and how can we improve and be more efficiency from an operation side. But uh, those things are behind the scenes. But when the customer interacts you know, with this new service that you've rolled out, 
Uh, what is their experience going to be like? Uh, what is the support around it? What has the communication been change management before it was released? That is very important to me. And that's a process improvement that we continue to get better at and continue to dream towards getting better at daily when it comes to IT services. Uh, some projects that we've rolled out on that is our new, uh, what we call an app portal, where we're now including our applications into a portal where it's an identity management improvement for single sign. So users go through the process where they authentic uh, through a multi-factor authentication step. And then once they log in, they have access to their portal uh, to different applications once they click they can log straight into an application without having to log into that application a second time. That has been really helpful. There's been a lot of communication around that. But what we've learned very early is the more we communicate, the more feedback we get from our customers if something is not working well or if it's working very well, either way, we get that feedback. And that's why I think uh, when we say eating our little dog food, we start uh, internally uh, with ourselves and trying to, with our help desk staff, because they know the type of questions that might be received, start with them uh, and grow from that. And then start with a pilot within your organization, a, a couple business users before you release it um, to the organization has been uh, very helpful in our uh, implementations of services. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, I had a, when I was younger, I had a important lesson when I worked at a property management software company and I was really junior. I worked as a technical account manager and I first started off just helping the end users and I'm dropping SQL packages in. I'm just trying to help work with the end users kind of day to day. I'm hopping on GoTo meeting at the time. <laughs> Didn't even, I don't even know that's still a thing, but this is what it was back then. And, and then eventually I would go, I went on site, which is a totally new experience for me. And, and working to see the, how the users actually touched the software was eye-opening for me because it wasn't how I used it. And it wasn't how anyone else at the company used it. It was how they were using it. And, and so that was pretty interesting to me. And I don't think Slack existed back then, but people would submit tickets and we try to close this feedback loop and, and work with the end staff. Now you can do this a lot quicker, but even in my own business, I was just doing this with my wife. We were looking at an episode and we were figuring out, hey, how can we increase the speed at which we can accelerate comments? Because we work with agencies to help us edit and all that stuff. And so, again, small scale, but on your scale, same process. And if you can accelerate the rate at which you can exchange that knowledge and get that feedback, it's going to be, you'll be able to deploy a lot more technology a lot quicker. And then you can get into the pilots and everything else that you were mentioning, which I really like. Yeah. One of the things that we just came to, to mind for me, I've been having some conversations with our IT managers. I say, when you look at uh, some of these other corporations that have, that are, they do very well. They have a lot of, I guess, fan base and energy behind them. And they have uh, these events. They'll have this event and they'll release some new product or software. And it gets a lot of attention. I said, as we start looking at services that we want to implement around more smartphones and things like that, what about the idea of an OIT tech day? The name of organization, a business unit is the Office of Information Technology. 
So we should have maybe considering OIT Tech Day, have different uh, computers and softwares and workstations set up. Let the business user come in and touch and feel what we're seeing will be a, a really uh, a neat service that we're rolling out that they will be able to interact with. And it, it, it's gotten some good conversations uh, within the manager. So it's something that we, we might think about deploying to improve upon that organizational change management when you're making those changes, making sure you're proactive with that. Okay, so I love this. As I think it just brings a lot of great energy to to the organization. Anytime you're rolling, like I think when I was thinking about like adoption, you can force software, but most people just either won't use it or they'll just hack the system and do their own thing. But if you can get the team excited about whatever you're trying to deploy, then I think you have something magical. I would love it. And then maybe you reach out to me whenever you do it and say, hey, Joe, this is awesome. And we want to come back on the podcast and maybe some other agencies will want to have their own days. Absolutely. I love that. Well, yeah, definitely let me know if you end up doing that. The challenge of man. So, okay, SSO, we talked, you, you touched upon this briefly, but the challenge of managing multiple usernames and passwords, I think everyone can relate to. I can relate to it. Roosevelt, can you help just dive into the initiatives you have in place, especially the emphasis and importance on designing applications with security first in mind? Yes, absolutely. It's one of these things I always think about when it comes to identity and passwords. And I, I go back to the late 90s when we really started to, for me anyway, get into some of these online uh, applications. And it started out with, okay, I had maybe three, three passwords. I had an AOL account and a few other accounts to remember. But quickly, by the time you get into... The 2000s, 2023, most which user might have 20, 30 passwords that they're remembering. It might be from your personal life to your, to work at work. You might have another 10 or 15 if you don't have some type of identity management. And I think those problems, we didn't think about that very early on because of these systems. Identity is something that we're playing with only because we started out in the silos, we developed applications with ident identity first. So it was a single application and And I think we are at a time where the of everything we do in IT, that silver lining needs to be security minded and security focused from installing a server, uh, developing an application. What are those different security layers uh, that need to be in place? Uh, or, or strength up before it's actually deployed in production. And how do we interact with it? Because the application is one, and then now the user has to interact. And that's when the username and passwords and the single sign-on, uh, something that it needs to happen. Uh, within the branch, uh, the state court system here in Florida, we have, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have 20 judicial circuits in each judicial circuit within our trial courts has their own IT infrastructure. They have a court technology officer, which is like the CIO of that circuit. Um, and within those circuits, they work with the county. Uh, the county might have a different IT director. And, and so all of that rules up to having to connect to services here at the Office of Information Technology, where we don't have 
uh, perhaps some of those uh, domains that might have to be uh, trusted. So we are looking to do improve upon single sign on in that area. That, that That's going to be a big initiative because uh, of the fact that when some of these systems were developed, the enterprise systems, they were not developed with what we are today. Uh, those systems have served us very well, but from an identity standpoint, they just need to be improved upon to ensure that we protect the data of the courts. Yeah, that's great. So you said a lot there, which... I think if the, listen, the audience is listening, becomes very complex when you have a lot of different organizations all trying to talk to each other. And I'm sure some of the organizations don't want to share any information. It's been known to happen. And so when you're authenticating across, I can see that being definitely a little difficult and a, and a hard project. Do you have any thoughts on like kind of the future of uh, on 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 this? My first thought is I, I agree with him. I share his, his similar thought. If, if I could get rid of them, I, I think it's really my thought on this is creating a, a system that does not use a password is one thing. There's always going to have to be some type of identity in order to say who you are and what access you, you have. Um, and, and I don't know what that solution is going to be. But what I do know is that I think we're at a time where whatever we start going to, uh, it will be more simplistic uh, from a standpoint of you can have identities uh, that once you disable one identity, it disables it across uh, the organization for other applications. I think that is really where we need to go because when you start getting into the workforce as we have today, we have business units that if I'm not involved, they can go out and break uh, a or create a cloud account uh, to meet a, a certain business need. And I get that. But if I'm not aware of that, then what happens is now we have organizational data when employees come and go that may not be deactivated or saved. And that's a real issue. One that I think we've done pretty well with working with our business units, being a broker and, and letting them know we're here to help them and saying what the criteria is. But single sign-on and passwords, if I could do away with them today, I would. Uh, myself, I, I, I wish I didn't have as many passwords as I have and keeping up with them. That's the one thing that, you know, and how do you keep them securely? A lot of users don't understand that in the outside of the workplace, you also in your personal lives, not writing down passwords and storing them in your browsers. It's a real thing. And it happens the time here in this country. Yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> it happens with me. Okay. So just one more thing on this topic. That I think it's pretty funny. So I like the whole biometrics, like whether it's like my eyes or my finger, but going back to you need a password. And so I was, I'm thinking about clear. And when you're at the airport, you can do your eyes or do your fingerprint. But the moment they're like, oh, hey, your credit card expired. You need to update it. I'm like, oh, man, what's my password? So that I can log in to update it so that I can use my finger or my eyes. Which I think is pretty funny. Really good point. So there you go. Passwords again, right? I know. The passwords. It's, I also would love the era where we can, where we can get rid of them. Um, 
And, and now it's, you've got some of the companies where you get the text message, which is great. And then I was, I think I was reading as like more secure to authenticate through an app. And so now I got an app and then I have a phone, yes. but if I'm on the airplane and then I can't get a text message or it's not secure, lots of questions. I know folks are probably laughing at me right now, but this is a real struggle. It's the focus is now where it needs to be. Yeah. It's just that how do we improve that for, from again, the customer experiences as seamless as it needs to can be, but it's also variant and highly secure at the same time. Yeah, no, totally. And I actually, I don't, I don't have any relationship with this particular vendor, but I, I interviewed the CEO of, of IDME, Blake Hall, and I'd never recognized IDME before, but then I realized I was using their app to authenticate for the IRS. Cause as a small business, I got to go pay taxes to the IRS. And so I would have to authenticate myself. And, and then I found out there was like two of me running around. So I had to like consolidate those in the IRS database. But yeah, anyways, you're right. The awareness is, is definitely there. If you were to look on Nasio's top 10 of what like state CIOs and CISOs, their priorities, cybersecurity is number one. If you go into a school or an everyday workplace, they don't even know what cybersecurity is. It's not even on their radar. And so, yeah, I think we're a long way from it being pretty mainstream and just helping to protect just folks in general. And so, but I love that we're having this conversation today. So I want a big one we've hinted on it is workforce initiatives. So within this era where workforce and government is, is just more critical than ever, especially with either folks retiring or just the expansion of work. How has your office refined its recruiting and onboarding processes to ensure a quick and efficient hiring of kind of new IT professionals? Well, we've been going through the last maybe six months from an organizational standpoint, the onboarding process of ensuring that women employees a day one, have a great experience after we've gone through the recruitment process to select a candidate and they have accepted and on for, for me, uh, I take this kind of this final picture initiative or willing for them to come in on day one and have sweat and have all types of things for the organization. We're not there yet. But with that being said, uh, we have improved that process for onboarding. Uh, that when employees come in, they can quickly get up and, and, and moving around and get to different services within the organization that they need and tools to do their job. I think when it comes to the kind of the retention summit of the onboarding process, where I'm beginning to have conversations of focuses, understanding that we may not have employees come in and be here for five or 10 years. We do have employees that are here 10 plus years, but we also see that natural rotation now of two, three years, of employees uh, being here and to better opportunities uh, that they think that are better for them. That's happening. So now it's more on the retention and how quickly can we, not only retention, but how quickly can we ramp up? How do we create desktop procedures within our different, an employee doesn't take six months to become really efficient in your operations, maybe with good uh, documentation, desktop procedures, training, 
within two months, they're up and running. Uh, so when you have that, that you're going to have probably a more rotating workforce. Yeah. When I say rotating, I mean, every two years and employees might come and go seeing that more in the information security area uh, where we hire employees and uh, they do quite well and they do great for us, uh, but then they get a, an opportunity within, uh, you know, a year and a half to, to double their salary or to go somewhere else. And those are great for the employees, but now we're losing some of that, that knowledge that employee was here. So now when we, I talk about those desktop procedures, how to keep those to keep them on for every employee comes in, they update them. So now your ramp up to that new employee come in and hopefully it's a lot shorter. And so I believe if you start planning for that ahead that an employee is going to leave and you have procedures in place to onboard, then you don't really lose that efficiency that we have historically had where it might take an employee almost a year before they really have gained their footing because there wasn't a lot of desktop procedures. It was all sit down and you learn from uh, the person next to you. But I think documentation is really going to help within OIT in the organization as a whole. This is an initiative from the state courts administrator. And I do see a lot of great value in us continue to develop those procedures. Yeah, this is a great, this is a great one. Creating those SOPs to increase ramp time. That there's such a pain to create. I know because I'm trying to do this for myself and my own business. And actually, we're gonna we're gonna trial. This is just a fun random fact, but we have some high schoolers here in town that are like super interested in podcasting. And so I'm like, all right, well, you want to edit some podcasts? They're like, all right. And so we're gonna test out these SOPs on these high schoolers who are like, we'll do it for free. I'm like, I'll pay you something. But yeah, onboarding and then knowing that they're gonna leave. I mean, just having that expectation in hand, maybe if the, the Florida state course can get the swag going, they'll, they'll keep them around a little bit longer. But yeah, I mean, young folks, I mean, I was there, I was like, did two years and I was like, gonna go get a pay rate. Sorry. <laughs> so just, just is what it is. So on our intro call, we talked about the concept of a blended workforce and how that's gaining traction today, especially in the public sector. Roosevelt, could you just give us your definition of what a blended workforce means to you? And would you share a bit, a little bit just about your own journey about going from the private sector to the public sector and how that's shaped your perspective? Yes. Um, I, I think what we talked earlier about the, the, just the experience that you're seeing within a course public sector where, you know, I spent uh, a great part of my first of my career, and I say it's about half now in private sector, gained a lot of experience. But I've also, in the second half of my public sector, gained a lot of experience. And I've been able to blend those together, blending them from a standpoint of understanding when a, we hire a vendor to come in and implement a, a pretty major project, of being on that side, of knowing what the vendor has to do. Uh, the job they have to do to get the, the customer moving. But now this product is going to do for uh, the public. What is it going to do to within the judiciary to improve access to justice? So blending those two together, being able to have those conversations across with vendors or vice versa with our with my team 
uh, has been uh, just a great uh, value from my perspective. But I'm also seeing that with the workforce, uh, the hiring where we uh, have uh, employees that have that experience from the private sector, also employees that have worked in the public sector. It, it brings a more robust conversation in the room, but it also, to me, leads to a much more successful implementation of projects because now you're not just having a conversation one-sided within our internally and also when you're having the vendor meetings. So that, and also when you think about blended, there's that blended side as well of ex experience. Um, I'm seeing the younger workforce and you have those that have been uh, within the organization, maybe 15, 20 years. There's some blending uh, from an organizational, uh, a pretty dynamic workforce because uh, just of the nature of this is how we've always done it, the, uh, how might we concept uh, and those things coming together and, and coming out of that. Well, oh yeah, we always did it that way, but I never thought about it this way. I do think that's a good process improvement. Let's try it. I've experienced that. That's pretty awesome to, to be a part of that. Yeah. And nowadays the world is moving so fast and I feel like I'm like pretty in tune because I'm like pretty tech savvy. Last night I was just looking at something where it was like, I can have basically a form that automatically throws it into chat GPT that then spits it out and populates everything based on the template I created. All that has to happen is said person submits this form and then all of these steps happen. And I'm like, what the heck is going on right now? Like the world is moving so fast. Another topic is definitely the chat GPT piece. I didn't even have this on the questions, but I think everyone has been talking to me about it. I'd love to hear your perspective. I think it's probably the most unique. I think a lot of folks have embraced it, but I had some great conversations and I'm thinking for one, you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want to put any of the data that you're dealing with into an open source model, but love, yeah, love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I had a discussion just recently with some uh, colleagues on, on this and I'm going back to my early years of college and when I first heard about an expert system, this is an expert system where you have a, a certain uh, field of doctors and they've all put in their expert advice. And now you add, you put the question in and then you get all of their different expertise blended together and you get an answer. I remember that was one of uh, programs I did years ago called an expert system or a decision-making system. So when I started thinking about generative AI and chat GPT. That's where I go back to. I'm like, okay, this is just bringing it forward. And we do see these evolutions of different names over time. And I, uh, it was called this 10 years ago. Now it's called this today. I think it's a really neat technology. I think it's pretty impressive of the response time that it gives. I will say I've only used it just in, just to kick it around to see how a lot of questions and see what the response is. I am very impressed with what comes back. I think it, it, it's, it has this, uh, a use case. It's something that we are, are going to have conversations about. What is that use case in the judiciary? Uh, how does that uh, fit into the judiciary? 
Uh, we have an emerging technology subcommittee that's a part of our Florida Courts Technology Commission. And so that's one subject that we're going to start having the next couple months about AI. How is it being used from the legal standpoint? But I think there's also that other side uh, of it from a standpoint. How many court cases are going to be opened up over AI down the road? Um, but I, I think it's a tool that we should not ignore. Uh, that's been my thought. And so now how do we embrace it or do we embrace it at all? Is there something else that's a little better uh, that would be for our organization? I do believe it's being used uh, within our organization. I can't say definitively, but pretty sure that th there are some use cases that we're starting to happen of just seeing versus the natural search. How can I use some of this uh, information uh, in my day-to-day? -day? But we don't currently have any policies around that. I am starting to see within some of the uh, organizations that I'm a part of questions about, has your organization put any policies around AI at work? Uh, we haven't had that conversation yet, but I do, as I mentioned, the next couple of months, anticipate that we are going to have that. And uh, I'm not sure where that's going to lead, but I am starting to see policies in the workforce around it. And yeah, no, that's great. I think every organization is trying to figure out, I think, I mean, even I was reading an article and I think it was New York city in January of this year, policy was no one uses it. <laughs> and then four months later, it was like, okay, that policy was bad out ah, with that policy. Every kid on the planet is using it right now in the school system. So, but very, a lot of really great, fascinating questions. I didn't want to jump. I know I got excited about the generative AI and chat GPT, but the blended workforce piece, I think is super important. And what you said about having both backgrounds of public sector and private sector in the same room together, I think it just provides the empathy and understanding where potentially the vendors are coming from, understanding the organizational priorities internally for your team and, and just being able to come up with it and communicate kind of the best solution and then having the different folks on the older spectrum, folks on the younger spectrum and being able to come together and both can learn very well. And so my favorite is always the younger kids tend to have a lot more energy and some of the older folks have some great wisdom, especially on just the, if they've been there 10 or 20 years, they just know where everything is at and they're a great resource to be able to navigate. And so, yeah, anyways, this was a super fun conversation. I'm excited to see if you end up doing what we talked about earlier, having the launch party or kind of something like that. And then a lot of the questions that you're answering and grappling with. So just excited to hear from you in the future. And thanks for coming on the podcast, Roosevelt. Well, thank you for having me. This has been terrific. I do want to just say one thing as we're wrapping up, you touched on this automation uh, earlier. I do see that as being a, a lot of uh, energy when you say the, the younger professionals that are coming in, as in that what I see is from the more experienced, they just know where to go get this or that or pull it in as then, and the younger professionals, they come in and say, well, how do I automate that? So I don't have to remember where to go to get. So I, I do see some of that happening, but it's bringing great uh, collaboration. And, and automation is kind of that next step to the desktop procedure that I was mentioning earlier. 
the more automation, the desktop procedures, I think your ramp up on your onboarding is really improved. And then also with the continuing to, to, as you rotate, I think that eases it a little bit because you have automation and desktop procedures together. Yeah. I love automation. Anything I can automate, I'm going to try and do it. And so, and, and then, yeah, the procedures and setting all that up is really great. Last question. Next one to two, two folks that you love to nominate to come on the podcast, Roosevelt. So I, I was thinking we, we have this organization within the, the courts systems. It's called the Court Information Technology Consortium called CTOC. CTOC is really the CIOs from the different state jurisdictions, state CIOs, my peers across the country. And this organization puts on some great events. We have what's coming up is the Court Technology Conference that's coming up next month. And then it, we, every other year we have equals. And within those, we have great presenters from the CIOs or other core IT leadership throughout the country. I think within Florida, I would, Robert Alderlardi, he's the CIO, the Chief Information Officer in Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade is one of the probably top five busiest court systems in the country. So a lot of innovation when it comes to court technology comes out of Miami uh, and the state of Florida, very well represented it, represented throughout the, the country. Uh, so I think Robert Aldilardi would, would certainly be great. And Case, uh, Casey Kennedy, who is the CIO for the state of Texas, he's doing really great things. He is also the leadership for the CTOP organization. And Texas is doing some great things on court technology and also pushing information when it comes to artificial intelligence in the court. So Casey Kennedy in Texas. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Miami-Dade actually just released an episode it's like on Friday, I think, with Frank Quint out at Miami Beach. And we're going to have Margaret come on from Miami-Dade pretty soon. But yeah, no, I'm interested. The court technology is just another small sliver in the giant ecosystem of, of the public sector that has so many of its own use cases, which is super fascinating. And I haven't covered too many, so I'm pretty excited to to jump into more of the court technology. Um, but I appreciate you coming on today. Roosevelt's was a ton of fun, and I can't wait to share this episode. Yo, this has been great. I look forward to future podcasts and Look forward to having uh, future conversations with you. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, Episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. 